All right. How you doing? My name is Matt Barr and you're listening to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. This is my podcast where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thank you as ever for listening to and or downloading the podcast. Really appreciate you taking an hour or so out of your day to listen to this. I hope you enjoy it. So I'm going to get straight into it this week because this is a much requested chat with uh, a fascinating man, Tom Kay, who is the founder of quintessential UK surf brand Finisterre. So if you don't know, Tom famously founded Finisterre back in 2003, running it from his flat above a surf shop. And in the intervening years, has overseen the brand's evolution into what is probably the UK's most beloved surf brand, I would say, these days, with a staff of around 50 and a workshop overlooking the cliffs of St Agnes in Cornwall. And along the way, the brand has come to stand for a particularly British type of surf culture, something epitomised by Tom, who's a surfer, a swimmer, a fisherman, a lifeboatman, a father, and a general flag waver for UK surf culture and Cornwall in particular. I've been lucky enough to be friends with Tom for about eight years now, having first met him on a few surf trips down to Cornwall back in the day. And we've also worked together on various projects along the way. So I know the Finisair story really well, and I've been lucky enough to watch its development firsthand. But what I was really interested in speaking to Tom about for the podcast was how he built Finisterre, if you like. Even in the short time I've known him, I've seen the company experience exponential growth in both size and reputation. And I wanted to understand how he's achieved that and what's motivated him to take his dream of a very English surf company and turn it into a reality. I mean, for most people, Tom and Finister's story is about cold water surfing and this Cornish idyll they seem to have created. But for me, this is a story as much about entrepreneurialism as it is about surfing. And I wanted to hear Tom's take on the challenges he's faced over the years in establishing Finisterre and building it up into the company that it is today. What lessons has he learned? What would he tell himself if he could start the whole thing again? I also wanted to learn more about where the brand's challenger ethos comes from. From the beginning, as you'll hear, Tom set standards for himself and the company, often taking what looked like blind risks in a spirit of playful experimentation to see where it takes them. And it's an ethos that has helped give Finisterre the reputation that it enjoys today. That was definitely the idea when they launched a wetsuit and opened up the R&D program to the public in the form of the wetsuit tester program a few years back. After a successful rollout with the men, Summer and Autumn 17 seems to launch the women's wetsuit tester program, which again will see them enlist ordinary surfers to help them develop their new wetsuit. And it's the same spirit that led them to launch the Beaumont program, which has seen them resurrect a completely British supply chain based around the uh, the wool of the Beaumont sheep. And it's also the thinking behind the new wetsuit recycling scheme, which Finisterre are launching in summer 2017. And we'll see them attempt to develop a, a wetsuit made from completely recycled neoprene and solve a problem that the surf industry has been skirting around for years, which is basically how to deal with the intrinsic wastefulness and environmentally damaging nature of the wetsuit industry. You'll hear Tom describe this in detail in the chat, but it's an approach he describes as his challenge to the surf industry. And he explains the thinking behind it in detail. And yet again, it's another classically Finisterre idea. And it's going to be very interesting to see how that one pans out over the next year or so. So when I started looking sideways, the plan was always to speak to Tom. And we finally got things organised in early summer 2017. He came to see me in Brighton and we spent the day catching up and chatting in the morning we did a peer-to-peer swim on what was a blustery gray and choppy morning it was freezing to be honest but it was a good laugh and a good setup for our chat later on as the wind died and the sun came out we went down the beach got a shandy sat down amid passers-by crunching the pebbles sirens on the seafront and the seagulls overhead and dug deep into tom's life and the story behind how he started this increasingly influential surf band for me this was just a really brilliant opportunity to get the inside line on Finisterre. There's a lot of really uh, pertinent advice and information in this insightful chat with a fascinating, motivated dude. And I hope you enjoy it. So here it is, Tom Kay on how he built Finisterre. Enjoy. 
So I'm here with Tom Kay from Finisterre, founder of Finisterre. How are you, Tom? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks, Matt. All good. Uh, yeah, fun. Welcome to the Looking Sideways podcast. Thanks for joining me. No problem. So we just had our first sea swim of the year in uh, in Brighton, and it was pretty chilly. How are you feeling? Have you warmed up? Yeah, it's cold. I warm up now. Uh, wind's dropped off a bit since we were in, uh, but it was nice to be first swim of the year with Matt and Dave. Last time I saw those guys, we were did a dark 10k so it's good to be back in the water start of another summer and is that your first swim of the year or have you been doing a bit down in cornwall i had my third swim of the year i had i had one on monday in cornwall just down from the workshops and i had one week before and um it's definitely warming up but it's still pretty fresh when you first get in yeah i was cold yeah i don't mind admitting it no, me too, yeah. 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 And how's it been down your way, same, freezing? Yeah, well, it's always, this time of year, you kind of get the sun out and you kind of, the water always seems to take much longer to heat up than you expect, so it's always a bit cold when you first get in. Still in my, you know, four-mil wetsuit and um, no boots, no gloves, no hood. I surfed uh, on Tuesday and it was still a bit cold on the head, paddling out, but it's, um, it's, it's definitely going in the right direction. I think we've got a good spot here, actually, because um, we're going to get some nice ambient pebble crunching noises yeah, from cool. everybody walking past yeah, on Brighton yeah, Beach. Um, so is this your first time in Brighton? Is this my first time in Brighton? Uh, no, I've been here twice before. My granny used to live just down the road actually at Seaford and then um, but I haven't been here probably for about 10 years. Okay. Is that, were you brought up down here then? No, no. I'm sort of my home, because my home up in North Norfolk. Um, sort of Blakeney Point, Morston. Um, it's where I'd, where I'd kind of call, call home or Okay, right. And when did you make the move to Cornwall? I uh, moved to Cornwall about 15 years ago now. Okay. So Cornwall is also home, but I've been living there for that much time. But, um, you know, in terms of where I sort of, uh, my childhood was, you know, up in up in North Norfolk. Okay. So is that by the sea as well? Yeah. It's, uh, so where my mum lives, you kind of walk out the back garden and you're straight onto the marsh and the creeks and the... Um, the, the, the sea of North Norfolk, which is very different to the sea of Cornwall. You do get surf there every now and then, but um, I was in kind of, um, you know, small boats and sailing and windsurfing and um, since I was, as long as I can remember, really. Okay, so that's kind of where your affinity with the sea came from. Then. Yeah, exactly. My mum and dad, uh, when they bring me up, actually, they sort of sort of discussing what uh, they thought they would like their children to, you know, have or how they should bring them up. Um, and they said they just like to give them the love of the sea and the mountains. So uh, very lucky that that happened and it's kind of how what I've built my life around, really. Okay. And did you learn to surf there as well? Um, no, probably learned surfing, you know, holidays in Cornwall. Okay, um, from you when know, you were a kid? Yeah, well, you know, our first, when I was, our, our holidays were, our summer holidays were spent in Cornwall. Okay. When I was like, you know, six months old. Ah, and wicked. so it was always to surf down there. And then, you know, as you get older, you kind of get into it in your teens and stuff. I got to surfing quite late, but it was at that sort of stage in your life where I think it's quite an identifiable period where people get into music or bands or, you know, team sports or whatever. And for me, um, it was my really became my identity was originally around windsurfing and then latterly around surfing and it's what I kind of based all my sort of decisions of my youth around really you know you know where right. I travelled where I went to, to, um, for that for that relationship yeah, for, for surfing yeah okay and, and see yeah and what so what did you get out of it at that age because like you said that's obviously like a really formative age isn't it I mean like you use the example of music and in my case that was certainly where I sort of you know that was my thing music and it's also when I really got into snowboarding and skateboarding what what was it giving you at that time um i think it was giving well those those you know like all those things that's very personal but it's on a number of different levels um i love the um um <laughs> everything about it really i think you know from when you're at that sort of age it's um you probably are looking for something to hang your hat on in terms of a bit of an identity. Um, and it was obviously love the act of surfing. Uh, it's in terms of, you know, the physicality of it, I really enjoyed. Um, and, you know, the kind of, the, I suppose, the, sort of the opportunities that opened up to go places, see places, um, and, you know, discover new waves that, well, not new waves to like that, but new waves to me. Um, yeah, I think it was 
any number of things really. I, like it a broad, just, like just a became a passion. Of, yeah, a broadening of the horizons. Broadening the horizons definitely, and yeah. um, you know, I love I love being in the water, and I you know I get in, still get in whenever I can, whatever it's like, pretty much. And yeah. uh, there's something about getting the sea that's you know still the same now as it was when I first started surfing. Um, but it was just something that I really you know I just did it. It became my my obsession. Um, I love studying the weather. I love the sort of surfing we were doing over here, where it was you know. Um, it was not always great all the time and so I kind of really enjoyed getting to understand the conditions and reading the charts to kind of know when it would be good at certain spots and so there's there's a lot of levels I think that um, it kind of really related to me on and I really related to it and um, that was the start of it really and that's carried on throughout your life yeah and you've managed to build a career around it which obviously we'll get to do, do any experiences from that time stand out um no, not really. I mean, probably, you know, that everybody can remember the first time they caught an unbroken wave. Yeah, and classic. And you, you turn and you look down the line and it's, it's, it's you know, it's in white water and it's kind of rolling with you as you as you go along it. You know, there's the times when you did that, you know, the times you get your first board. I still um, get stoked on that. Yeah, exactly. Same here. Um, but uh, so they, they were, you know, like any, many, anyone's surfing journey. It was quite a normal sort of surfing journey in the experiences that I had. Um, I really enjoyed the sort of surfing over here and the... Um, your discovery of spots, I think, you know, everyone sort of seeks the uncrowded spots. Um, and they kind of, there's a certain romance to, I think, the um, surfing that we do, we do here that I think, you know, are related to, you know, I'm from this country and it's kind of, there's, there's, there's a sort of level of romance with, 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 with surfing here. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, it's such a unique experience surfing in the UK. I mean, I, as you know, live in Brighton and there's a really thriving surf scene here, but it is very particular. It's very it's you know it's pretty harsh the waves are obviously terrible but it does it does bring about a certain camaraderie and almost sometimes makes it more enjoyable for the for the kind of fact how shitty yeah. it can be it's weird so some of the places i've been where the waves are the worst there's been the, the strongest kind of camaraderie and sort of stoke and um you know people are just when they do get a swell they're so excited to have a swell because it's not swell every day that there's a bit more of a buzz around it and a bit more of a kind of um a sort of community feel i think and um yes yeah, so i think that, that then that that happens in the uk as well because you don't get waves all the time so um there's definitely something about that yeah so you were living in norfolk up until this point and then obviously you moved to cornwall was the move to Cornwall to do with establishing Finisterre? Did that did that happen? Was that the catalyst? Yeah, so I went to uh, and then I was sort of North Norfolk to Bristol University, um, and then did a year and a half in London, then moved to Cornwall. Um, and yeah, it was always about sort of starting a brand that I felt there was a need for. So, can I just start? So what yeah. were you doing in London? Uh, Charts of Air. Okay, of so you did stuff, it. You yeah. did it. You did a year and a half. Of a year that. and a half of that. And how's that? Uh, yeah, it was kind of it was good in one sense, and it kind of really kind of really made me realise what I didn't want to do, right? And where I wanted to kind of focus my life. And I suppose like a lot of people at that stage in your life, you you know everything has been around revolved around you know or in my case it revolves around what I was passionate about I did biology with a really strong marine slant at university um I'd been in and around the sea you know a lot of my life it was kind of what I was really I really kind of related to and then suddenly you were doing something that you didn't feel in line with all of those um experiences and things that you held close so I started to work out what it is that it was important to me and what I could do about it and um that ultimately led to building a brand uh and moving to Cornwall um and a brand from which I felt there was a real need for so what what was that need that you that you felt existed well it was need it was need for kind of product that's built built for purpose uh product was built at the time I think you know back then that's 15 years ago now a lot of the surf brands and you know um, quotation mark surf brands were um, you know making products that wasn't relevant to me as a surfer over here it was board shorts it was bikinis it was um, you know it wasn't what I felt I needed uh, nor was it made in the way that I thought um, 
product should be made in terms of the uh, the fabrics that are used, in terms of the places that the suppliers they're working with, the manufacturers they're working with. Um, and so I set out to kind of brand address this need of uh, building sort of the best product we can, uh, best, product we, best product we could with the best fabrics, sort of made in the, in the, in the right sort of places. Um, and all based around a love of love of the sea, and that was kind of the kind of the the, the sort of founding ideas, I suppose, of, of Finisterre. So, could we dig into that a little bit? Then? Yeah, so, sure. So, when, how did you go about making that a reality? Like, uh, it's, a lot of people always ask me that question, and it's um, <clears throat> it, was, it was kind of the most unformulaic way you would imagine. If you could ask anybody, right, go and you know build a product, I sort of you know that's how I did it um, I um, I sort of looked at what I thought was needed and um, our first product was a, f- a really windproof waterproof breathable fleece that the idea was when you get changed in the car park come out of a really cold sea um, it's what you put on and to, to kind of keep you warm and get you dry and uh, there was nothing else out there at the time anything like it and uh, I said about um, buying fabrics getting in touch with manufacturers, driving around the country, meeting manufacturers. I had no clothes um, design background at all, no fabric design background at all, but I had a good idea of what I, what I thought the product should be and why it was needed. Um, and it was really a case of getting samples made up, trying and testing them. We worked with uh, Leeds University textile research department that helped us kind of reel to build a sort of, you know, kind of a... Um, a legitimacy to I think the functionality of the product that I was building um, and that was pretty much it and it, as I said there was, there was no kind of magic formula or no sort of um, I've done this before this is how I do it it was kind of making it up as, as I went along so it sounds um, like it was quite intuitive uh, it was just it was just just doing it as as anybody would with a bit of common sense and yeah. a bit of you know a bit of chat and a bit of passion um, bit of passion quite a lot of blind optimism you know believing that you could do it um, all the things you hear about not taking no for an answer and because I think when the brand started out as now it has a lot of sort of narrative and it's got quite a lot of um, history to it and a reason why it was needed uh, it, people wrote about the product and wrote about the brand and why it started and we got write-ups and that's how it all really began okay and who was involved back then just me just you my sister helped me out in the early days with the trade shows because back then the sounds crazy but there's a three-page website and you know digital marketing and online sort of sales was just non-existent so we used to go to uh, you know physical trade shows to get the product to market we made in Devon at the time, and so we couldn't afford to go into wholesale, into shops and stuff. And a lot of them didn't get what we were doing. They kind of thought that starting a brand with a kind of an environmental agenda or making functional product for surfers, as it was, um, of cold water surfers, was they thought it was they didn't get it at all. Okay, uh, that's interesting. And so, so we we was we were, we went we had to kind of go direct to the consumer and meet people at trade shows. Must still helped me out in the early days, but it was pretty much just me for um, four four or so years. Okay, in my bedroom in St Agnes. Right, that must have been hard. Were there points where you kind of wondered if it was worth carrying on? Because you make it sound like it was you know like quite quite a seamless sort of transition, <laughs> but obviously. You know, yeah. four years working on your own on, a, on an idea that you are passionate about is, is hard, right? As yeah, an entre- it's hard. You actually. know, especially if you look at it from an entrepreneur level, like how did, were there points where you kind of thought... Yeah, I mean, I look back on it now, I had a really tough start to that. Um, you know, it's kind of, my dad died in the same year I started the business, so there's a lot going personally in my life and I just threw myself into the business and the brand and the vision I had for where it could go um, as hard as I could and um, I think if you it's one of the sort of things you probably sort of stop to think about it too much you might scare yourself off yeah um, and looking back on it now it's yeah I do feel sort of proud that I kind of got through got through those years and just kept kept at it um, and looking back on it it probably was it, it was a hard thing to do but I kind of just kept kept going um, and just 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 believing in what I thought the brand and finish there could become and um, yeah and you know made a lot of mistakes along the way you know made all the you know 
all kinds of horrible decisions but um you know we're still here today and it's um yeah those early years were tough definitely can you pinpoint a turning point where you thought actually yeah i'm, I'm on the right track here um no not one any one turning point because i think in you know in business and there's you know there's every little stage and it has kind of key milestones i think where um you you know, you reach little, you know, the little battles to win the war, sort of thing. And yeah. there's not any one turning point. You know, and I don't think you ever go, yeah, we were there, sort of thing. And yeah. so, you know, the first time, you know, we made, we broke even at a trade show. That was a big, a big amount. To, you know, that was a big thing. The first time I saw someone I didn't know wearing a product, that was a big thing. Um, we won the Observer Ethical Business Award. That was a massive thing because that was probably our, our first really big thing winning that award sort of four five years after starting because it was a real recognition um, of the work we were doing in terms of the brand and uh, the product and how we were running our business uh, on a kind of independent you know quite high profile sort of scale so that was big that, recognition yeah it was, so that, that that was a big moment um, you know and then you know and then and then there's just milestones all the time and each little one is to sort of be celebrated and but then you kind of move on to the next sort of stage in the journey yeah you mentioned like any small business growing business you mentioned mistakes i mean can you think of a a big mistake that you made and something that you learned from it you know we had some issues i think at the start with some of the product um and because you know that started in the product sourcing and the and the Manufacturing is such an important part of it, and I think when you, you know, we we had a manufacturer in Devon um, who dropped down 50, you know, fleeces in the back of his, you know, Mondeo, whatever it was, were in bin bags, uh, and then we, we kind of moved on to another supplier. So there's all those sort of issues around that. Um, there was you know cash flow stuff. Yeah, I mean it's the same for a lot of businesses, but it's. Um, there probably isn't any one big mistake I could sort of highlight, but um, lots of little ones. So at what point did the company start to expand? Um, well, so we had four years, I think, when it was just me um, helping my sister. Um, and then I, saw, you know, I, was, I was doing sort of part-time jobs um, at the time in and around sort of Cornwall and St Agnes. And then um, I sort of started to believe that, it, you know, we, we, we could... And then embark on the next stage of the journey, um, which involved uh, you know getting some people to help me out uh, on a full-time basis, uh, designer and a marketing guy. Um, so areas where I felt that I was lacking in terms of sort of like business structure, I suppose. And the um, yes, yeah, so that was the sort of the first expansion. We sort of built the product line up from one product to six. Did our first brochure. Um, you know, got some ambassadors on board. Um, moved up to Wheel Kitty, where we are. We could do workshops in St Agnes, where we are still located now. Um, and sort of just did it bit by bit, really. So it's always been on a bit of an expansion um, or growing sort of journey. One thing that's always seemed really important to the culture of Finisterre is like the community that you've that you've got working for you. Is that something that's always been like that since the beginning? Yeah, it's kind of, uh, I suppose, one of the sort of things with starting the brand in terms of what we do as a business and why we existed has been there since day one and I suppose what we stand for. And the other thing I was really keen for to kind of create was a really um, good place for people to work. Um, and so, you know, like a really exciting place for people to work in terms of where you know where they're working why they're working there and where it's going so that's one thing um and then also in terms of you know we're living and working where we do you know you can go out for surf at lunch or you know paddleboard or swim or whatever it is um and so it's very much you know ingrained in the sort of the depth of the brand that as that sort of place uh, that sort of place it is to work and that uh tends to attract similar people that are kind of got the right outlook uh, which means they are you know they are friends yeah do you is there a certain type of character that that it attracts do you think um probably um you know i think there's really positive outlook um you know quite a passionate outlook on life um willing to want to be part of something i think is a big thing uh but also you know they they you know they're ambitious in terms of 
you know, where the business can go and what, what the brand can become. There's, there's a real sort of, there's a, there's a momentum behind what we're doing and that's and it really, you know, it really feels like a part of something. So anyone who's kind of up for that, uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's a young business so there's always kind of curveballs coming in and you know, it's, 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 you know, it's hard work. Um, and so you've got to be up for both sides there, but it's that sort of character really. Earlier you mentioned the the story really of Finisterre and mm. yeah that's something that seems to have been in place almost from the beginning and to this day is is like really important part of the company's identity to a really like kind of micro level as well is that is that something that you always visualize from the start yeah I think the storytelling of the brand's always been there um, and but there's you know starting a brand that, that I felt was a real need for gives it real legitimacy and authority to uh, tell those stories and um, you know I think that, that that that's been a really powerful thing for us and something that we don't we don't manufacture or kind of uh, invent it's actually runs through the business at many levels you know product relationships the people you know as a brand we stand for uh, product environment and people and we have done since day one and still do and always will do um, and I think it's um, yeah it's a really important part of it uh, but it's very genuine and it's something that um, we enjoy doing and I think you know right down to the name Finisterre being in the old shipping forecast area and the story about how that came about and uh, you know it, it, it runs deep in the business yeah Tell me that story then. So that's the uh, Radio 4 shipping forecast, which um, you know people listen to in this country and have a very romantic association with it. And it's, it's such an interesting um, pr- well, program or forecast, if you want to call it, on Radio 4. It's a very British thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really British thing, and it's basically talking about the sea areas around the British coast and what's going to be happening then in the next 24 hours. And the interesting thing that it's used by is actually, you know, could be mean a life or death scenario for a, you know, a trawler boat or sailing boat miles out at sea, depending on, you know, storms going, which way they're going, or winds abating, that sort of thing. Um, but it's also something that people can listen to in the, you know, the kind of comfort of their own house and have no real idea you know what is going out there there's a real romantic kind of sort of connotations with it it's a real poetry to it isn't there yeah it's real poetry to it it's very formulaic where it's red yeah and uh it's very comforting you know, isn't yeah, it it's very comforting it's very real it's very confident it's very knowledgeable um a lot you know a lot of sort of the sort of associations that we have as a brand as well and i used to listen to this when i was younger driving around my mum and dad's car when there'd be you know going wherever in the middle of winter and I can remember sort of starting to understand the kind of really get the knowledge behind what the the forecaster or the reporter was saying and what this meant for this area or that area as a work around the British Isles um, and you know I would imagine these boats off and these you know tossed around these huge seas miles out uh, and here was like a driving around in a kind of warm car around the lanes whatever and it kind of it's got you know really really I really can remember it from a very early age and so when I was reading about the I read, actually read that the uh, Sierra Finisterre which is one of the biggest areas sea areas uh, was being changed um, I thought it was a really good name for uh, a brand is it Fitzroy now yeah it's changed to Fitzroy who's okay. the guy that started the shipping oh, sorry the Met Office founded the Met Office but the uh, Finisterre you know, Finisterre means the end of the sea and it's end of the land it means um, in Latin, Spanish, French. It's got a real kind of romantic connotation to me personally, and yeah. as for our brand, that kind of you know rings true in many aspects of what we do. So, at Finisterre today, what what is your actual role? Because obviously, you've described the the growth of the company, but now, I mean, how many people are you now? I mean, it's big now, right? Uh, yeah, there's probably like. 45, 50 people that work yeah. there now. I mean, which uh, is a long way from you. Yeah, it's a long f- way. For f- four yeah. years with the fleece. Yeah, yeah, so that's a long way since it was it was just me and a bunch of fleeces at the end of my room. And you're um, based in Wheel Kitty in St. Yeah, Agnes so in Cornwall. Yeah, so I headquarters in, in Wheel Kitty in St. Agnes in Cornwall on the site of an old tin mine about 200 metres from, from, from St. Agnes Beach, which is a good surf beach. Um, and... Yeah, we we about put it thirty five people down there, and then there's put it four or five people at sort of various shops. So we're at our shops in Bristol and London, Falmouth, Snagness, and they. Um, so yeah, probably totally about sort of forty five, fifty people now. Yeah. And w- what's your role these days? 
so I've taken a more, I mean, I've been running the business for so 14 or 15 years now, and um, I'm now more moved into more of a brand directing founder role, um, which is great because it's originally why I started the company. Allows me to do the things that are really important to the the brand and keep kind of creating what makes us a special. Yeah, and are you involved in product R and D? Yeah, loads, quite a product R and D, uh, product design, um, product look, aesthetic, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, as much as I can be, you know, that, that's that's you know, that's ultimately what we're going to continue to be pushing, innovative, and really evolve. Is there is there a set of we'll get we'll, <laughs> it's quite funny when I, when I started doing these podcasts. A slight digression, but I was really I was so paranoid about background noise, and I was really like, oh, it's got to be quiet, it's got to be quiet, and now I'm like. We're on Brighton Beach. There's you know the waves, you can hear the pier. There's like people going past on quads. I'm literally past caring. So yeah, there we go. Um, the question I was going to ask yeah. is: Is there a set of criteria that a Finisterre product needs to fulfil? I'm sure for you that's something that's just something that you know. But could you could you kind of characterise that? Um, yeah, I think there's there's a number of you know in terms of there's a there's you know it's built it's built it's fit for purpose. It's built to perform. Uh, personally, I love the product. For me, the the longer I have it, the more I love it. So unlike that mobile phone you get when you, for the first like weekly, the plastic on it, and then like within four weeks you're just chucking it around the bottom of the car, or whatever. Um, I love I love our product to be. You know, we built it to be with as long as possible. So um, it's always built with a, that sort of design um, ethos in mind, uh, coupled with you know really examining the fabrics that the product's made from. Uh, Debbie's our production director and she has an unbelievable um, kind of sourcing and um, fabric knowledge that we apply, you know, through a lot of the product and the amount of narrative that goes into, you know, recycled uh, polyesters, our Beaumont project, um, our own blend of merino wool we've been doing for sort of over 10 years now. Um, they go back, goes back a long time. So, you know, those, I think those are kind of the key sort of um, starting points for product design. It's obviously got to be relevant in terms of its style, its colour, its aesthetic to the consumer, um, which you overlay onto the sort of previous description of products. Um, and, you know, the attention to detail, the labelling, the branding, and really kind of bringing the brand equity to life in, in, in through a product is what we, you know, we try to really push hard. Beaumont's a really good example of that, I think, isn't it? I mean, I know what it is, but it might be good for people that aren't aware of that project if you could explain that a little bit because it's, yeah. it's a quintessentially Finisterre collection that isn't it really 100% nobody else works with Beaumont like us so um, Beaumont, the Beaumont project started uh, about 10 years ago now and uh, we were manufacturing a lot of our wool uh, was coming from New Zealand and um, Australia and we won the Observer Ethical Business Award and so we started thinking about ways that we could bring our supply chain closer to home so we tried to find a fine fibre uh, wool supplier in the UK. And it has to be fine fibre like Merino because uh, when you wear fine fibre wool next to your skin, it's not itchy. And so it's under 18 microns diameter, the wool fibres. So that was very important. That That's, that's kind of key criteria. Um, we came across a farmer in Devon who had uh, found a fine fibre sheep called the Beaumont uh, and she'd collected the only remaining Beaumont in the country um, and there's only 28 of them and so and that was and literally the what's her own, name? Uh, Leslie Pryor she's a lovely lady and knows so much about wool and sheep breeding and she had collected you know she'd kind of got passionately into uh, fine fibres and um, and wool breeding and specialist specialist breeds and she had collected the only 28 Beaumont sheep in the country to her farm in Devon um, and obviously 28 sheep's not an amazing huge amount of sheep to make any product with so um, we sort of formed a relationship with her um, and she was she you know bred the sheep and looked off the sheep and you know it's absolutely love you know you can name every one of her sheep pretty much amazing um, such a good story yeah and she and we 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 then obviously then underwrit the project in terms of a commercial point of view um, by you know shearing the wool and storing it and after about four four years we got to a point where we got enough wool from you know four years worth of clippings to make a start making products we resurrected a 100% British supply chain that had been um, 
that had been you know sort of non non existent um, and there's probably about four or five stages in the kind of in in the wool production process it's sheared it's cleaned it's scoured it's combed it's carded and then it's spun and then it's knitted so there's quite a lot of sort of stages in that and each one is a very specialist area that we work with um with the British supply chain. And we make our first brown product, uh, which is a beautiful bit of knitwear, um, about five years ago. And then every year we've been, Leslie's been growing the flock uh, and we've been, you know, making the product. And so it's a really great example, I think, of um, where the brand really came together in terms of products, uh, you know, um, great product, highly relevant to what we need and what we do. Uh, really great um, environmental story in terms of, you know, close to a manufacturer working with natural fibre. Um, and also um, a really great people story because it's all about relationship. And we couldn't do it without Leslie and she couldn't do it without us. And it's one of the things I'm really proud of as a brand that we, 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 we have done. Um, and it's also one of those things that you can't foresee happening in the sort of um, a good example of in business or in life just you never know where things going to take you if you kind of go for something in a direction strong enough um you know doors open it's a great point to talk about the environmental um angle to finisterre really because obviously it's a key part of the brand so how important are environmental issues and projects like beaumont to, to you and finisterre yeah 100 percent. I mean, it's one of the, one of the reasons we started as i said at the start you know uh back then you know there were you know 15 years ago there was no merino wool there was hardly any recycled polyester you know you couldn't even you could even buy you know under 2,000 yards of recycled polyester it was it was you know people weren't even interested in it so you know it's one of the very reasons we started and we i was really keen for um the whole design of the product have a massively environmental ethos to it and a, and a sustainability agenda that um, we work at, you know, evolve, push forward, innovate around. Um, it's one of those things where you can't, you know, we're, we're not saying we're perfect, we're not saying we've got all the answers, we're not saying that, you know, we don't um, cause damage as a business or have an effect on, on the planet. Um, but it's very much, you know, we're really at the coalface and sort of pioneering, I think, in terms of our outlook in this area. And it's something that's constantly evolving. It's really great that it's kind of, is much more on everyone's kind of radar now than it was when we started. And um, yeah, it's, 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 highly, it's highly important. I think, you know, it's highly relevant to customers now that they know where their stuff's made, what it's made from. And you think about the entire life cycle of, of the products um, rather than just what you buy off the shelf. So have you got any projects coming up that you can tell us about? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we've got some, re- you know, we've got loads of, you know, at the minute we've got our True North swimwear collection, which is made from part recycled fishing nets. Um, we've got, you know, we do wool insulation in our jacket. We don't work with down. We do now, you know, we don't uh, recycled um, polyester, closed loop recycled polyester in our in our jackets for over 10 years now. Um, and we're just starting to do a wetsuit recycling project, which I'm really excited about. And that we started making wetsuits about uh, three or four years ago. We did a really sort of interesting wetsuit tester program where we engaged 300 sort of everyday surfers um, from around the UK and Ireland. And, and gave them or they bought into a wetsuit tester program where um, they got a wetsuit to test and they gave us feedback at the end of the winter from which we then built the a better product from. Um, and it was a really, really great thing to do, A, to engage the community like that and B, they totally helped us make a really a much better product. Um, but I think you know, the wetsuits is such an interesting area of the industry. Um, you know, surfing and water sports wider in terms of um, it's you know amazingly damaging product to make. Um, doesn't have that long a life cycle, and also there's a massive question mark around what happens to wetsuit at the end of its life cycle when it when it's no longer any good. Um, I think there's some really exciting um, innovations around you know working with alternatives to um, you know petroleum-based neoprene. Um, and we're sort of pushing that a bit but I think the biggest kind of issue that no one in the industry is really addressing is that of you know what to do with a wetsuit at the end of its life um, and you know everybody has got a wetsuit pile of wetsuits in their you know back of their sheds well, when I was trying to dig mine out for the swim today you know I've got six wetsuits you know 
in various states of yeah. disrepair. But you don't throw them away and you kind of keep Well, you them. don't know what to do with yeah. them, do you? So they just pile up in your loft or whatever. Yeah, nobody knows what to do with them and you kind of maybe think, oh, I've got some mates, they'll come down and use them and then they don't or whatever. And it's kind of... So if there's a massive... You know, everybody you speak to who's involved in uh, a water sport has got that problem. And so what we're looking to do is... Um, from this September, actually, we are... Um, we've appointed like a, a position at Finisterre. Uh, we're offering a job for a full full time wetsuit recycler, and the brief is: Can you make wetsuits from wetsuits? And I kind of think in this day and age, when uh, most unbelievable things happen on a te- technological level um, or scientific level or whatever it is, we must be able to work this problem out. And I think uh, you know we as a brand, you know, still relatively small. We don't have a massive R and D department, but our sort of kind of commitment to trying to get to the bottom of this is to offer a full-time job that, at, at Finisterre, um, and we're working with uh, Exeter University a professor there, who's a high, you know, high, um, also a very experienced professor in uh, materials re-engineering. And so she'll basically be mentoring the, our full-time wetsuit recycler. And it's a really, oh, what I'm excited about it is I don't actually know what's going to happen. You know, it's a real example of, you know, not really having all the answers, not knowing where it's going to go. But it's the sort of thing where I think as a brand, we need to commit to um, addressing this with the industry um, and seeing where it goes and, who, you know, watch the space, basically proper mad scientist shit yeah really mad scientist stuff and like you know really pioneering outlook really you know left field thinking and you know i'm not just talking about making you know mouse mats mouse mats or you know stubby holders for beers whatever from recycled you know from old wetsuits actually turning old neoprene into new neoprene to make wetsuits and you know that's my challenge the industry must be able to do that um and our way of kind of approaching it is to say right there's a full-time job going for Nestaire open to absolutely anyone can apply um and we that's what so to answer long 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 answer to question that's what we yeah, do yeah yeah well that's, um, that's what i wanted in 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 september and that i'm really excited about you mentioned the surf industry a few times and you've mentioned challenging the surf industry a few times yeah challenging the status quo you know the way things are done you said that was one of the reasons you almost wanted to start the brand. How have they reacted to that? Um, how have they reacted to that? Um, I think it's changing. You know, I think, um, you know, when it was just me and a couple of us, they probably thought, you know, we were full of it and, you know, you know, just going to be here today, gone tomorrow type thing. And so it didn't take us um, very seriously. Um, then I think we started to have a bit of a voice possibly a bit too much voice and sometimes um and then i think you know it was it was it was um you know probably you know i don't know that it's a good question um i think that you know the middle years were probably a bit more difficult in terms of acceptance but i think you know now you know which i'm really proud of people sort of look look to us we've been around for 15 years now um as hopefully a brand that kind of really is here to you know to to make a difference, have an innovative innovative approach to um, to products, manufacture, to the way the business is run, and um, really kind of you know be pioneering. Have you have you heard criticisms from them? From yeah, that I mean you always get. I mean you get you get you know haters will always hate. You know yeah. the same as in, 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 do anything. You put yourself out there in anything. You're always going to get naysayers, and we've definitely had our fair share of naysayers. But um, you know that's you know, you, that's yeah. You know, starting a brand from your from your attic or your bedroom is that's you know I've been I've had that a lot a lot. Yeah. Uh, but you also get your guys. You get guys in the industry who are like so excited with what you're doing and they're yeah. really supportive and really encouraging and that's just just life isn't it well i guess the wetsuit program that you referred to earlier was a really good example because you know that that was take well not taking on it's the wrong way of doing it but that was the wrong way of putting it but that was getting involved with a very entrenched part of the surf industry really wasn't it to suddenly say like right we're going to make a wetsuit and we're going to get involved in this yeah was yeah i mean i kind of approached that i was like you know well you know, making a jacket is one thing. Making making a wetsuit is the number of sort of design variables going to a wetsuit is 
is is phenomenal you know it's got to be warm comfy good price points um most surfers that i know you know don't treat them that well they pee in them they rip them off on the tarmac leave them in the sun to dry and as soon as it falls bits you send it back asking for another one so (laughs) it's a really hard product to make yep um and so you know for us we kind of approached it you know i think we're we're pretty honest as a brand and we sort of said listen we've never done this before but we think we can apply our sort of design outlook into a wetsuit and the best way to do it is to speak to the guys on the ground not just a bunch of athletes who maybe are surfing in cold water for you know a week or two weeks a year a bunch of guys that you know and we had like you know thousands of people apply to be testers, and I read every single application, and then uh, we then you know decided who was going to um, be you know on accepted on the scheme, and these are the guys that were going to really help us shape our wetsuit. Still got mine. Did. Yeah, we still did. Still surfing mine. Yeah, and I'm really proud. I'm still you know wearing my tester suit, uh, four mil tester suit that in the third winter in a row, and it's 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 doing really well. And the, I think the brief was you know make a suit that is built around length of time in the water maximizing that um and durability and i think we really achieved that uh you know we would never sit back on our laurels but we kind of it was i was was really proud with our wetsuit and really proud that the help that we had from you know from the community would you do anything differently with that project uh no i wouldn't actually no no not too i thought it was it was kind of um yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna re-engage it. We're gonna do a wetsuit, a female wetsuit tester um, program this autumn winter, uh, which is really exciting because I think there's similarly um, some improvements we can make in the women's wetsuit test, women's wetsuit market. Um, and yeah, no, I think yeah, we you know we could got constantly um, talk to the guys who are you know putting the suits to their paces and the girls and see, see where we go. The other question I wanted to ask you about is is the fashion world really because you with Finisterre you're trying a tricky thing in a way you know you try to be relevant to the surf industry you try to be relevant to the fashion industry in a way or I mean maybe that's the question do you think that's important? Uh, you know you, you if you're if you're making clothing and garments and product like we do there's got to be a style and a, and a, and a strong aesthetic to uh, what you do and we we have to we, we we address that regularly and so um you know, it's up to people where and how they buy and wear our products um and you know we want to make it as desirable as possible i mean it's going to be an interesting few years isn't it because things are changing the lines are blurring you know like when we were growing up there was very clear sectors wasn't there it was very you know you were a surfer and you had your surf brands you know you you know you might have been like a skater and you're just your skate brands it's kind of changing now though like the brands cross over into different demographics where, where do you see Finisterre in five years given that changing market and that changing um and i think it, you know so just your first point i think you know i think people were much more one-dimensional in their identity uh you know probably sort of 15 20 years ago because it was just print media or it was gonna say it's probably information isn't it as yeah, much as anything or it's you know it was print media or it was like limited access to um you know tv you know channels or whatever and you know you know extreme sports or that sort of side of it or was quite in its infancy and so there was it was much more one-dimensional now you can be into many different things at a much deeper level at the same time so I think you know that's a really interesting point because the kind of relevance of the brand and what you do as a business really is p- pervades sometimes the sports so or the or the or the the activity whatever you know sport or yeah pursuit whatever you want to call it yeah. uh, and so sometimes that's where the kind of brand and what you stand for you know can pervade that so um, you know and moving forward as a brand we've we've you know we've we're still you know pretty small business and uh there's a lot more people that i think we could be relevant to uh you know on how we are now and how we're going to become yeah i guess it's a fine line between managing that and turning into super dry isn't it once you get to a certain market um i don't think so really i mean that's not i mean i don't think um you know you could draw a line between finister and super dry ever but I think you know, you know, there's there are examples of brands that maybe have got you know have gone off the you know have gone off the radar or deviated from their true north. Um, yeah, I guess I guess my point is, and it's not really directed at Finisterre 
in any way. It's just more like it is. Brands reach a point, and once once they hit a mass market, they can. And the reason I use the example of Superdry is because you know that one that almost took the place of like Quicksilver in a lot of ways. Like you know, at some point, people that don't have an interest in the sports, but they like what the lifestyle signifies, so they'll just pick that brand. But once they don't really have an interest in it, then they'll pick another brand. I guess that's more where I was coming from. Yeah, but I think both. Well, I don't think Superdry is not really. It's not really hasn't really got an identity. Uh, Quicksilver does or did, um, which was you know very lifestyle based, you know image based around surfing. But I think you know the kind of founding principles of Finisterre are way more um, you know solid and have much more kind of provenance than um, than those, any of those brands. But um, you know they're, they you know they're on they're, they are defined in here we are and what we do so you know so as long as I'm around they're going to always be there yeah, yeah basically and you know it is because you know it's ultimately my role now is to kind of keep safeguarding that, that keep the gatekeeper of that basically and yeah. it's kind of who I am so um, yeah so if you could tell the Tom that started Finisterre one thing what would that be? If I could tell the Tom that started Finisterre, yeah, the Tom of 15 years ago. If you could give that Tom some advice, uh, what would it be? I think the, um, I suppose I'm kind of, I'm kind of things that I think I've, you know, kind of proud of. I'm kind of proud of, of you know, I've kept, I've kept going and stuck to what I said I was going to do at the start, and you know, it's starting to kind of, you know, become the place that I, I think I imagined it to be. Um, it's definitely taken way longer than I thought, you know, but, um, you know, build it slowly, I think, is, 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 is a better way to do it. So um, I think that's a really good bit of advice. You've got strong kind of beliefs and uh, morals and reasons why you're starting something. Um, you'd hope that there'd be an amount of longevity to why you're doing it. And I think that longevity is to be enjoyed. Um, and you know, and you know, the sort of you know, the journeys when it's just three people around a, around a table, um, sort of designing products and coming up with ideas was. I remember saying to the guys, you know, just remember these days. They won't be around. They won't be like this forever. Like anything in life, you know, everything, you know, nothing lasts forever. So, um, just making sure you really appreciate and enjoy those times because it, you know, it was all, you know, it's always supposed to be an enjoying process, doing running a brand like this and starting a brand like this um, which by and large it has been I think there was times probably about five or six years ago where there was probably about 12 people working there um, maybe 15 people working there and it was all I was doing was um, going to work and phoning up and basically pushing off paying people um, and I can remember for probably quite a big probably best part of a year maybe a bit less actually the you know I was I wasn't I, I, I wasn't looking forward to Mondays okay. because I'd have to be going in and phoning the VAT office or the yeah. payway office and you know Jeff just generally putting people off getting, pay, paying people um, and that I can remember then that was a time when actually I didn't enjoy it and you know the whole sort of thing about the brand is quite consuming that it's, it's you know it's what I do all the time really and just yeah. what I think about all the time yeah and so um, it is very much it is, it is my life and so suddenly then it became a sort of situation where I would look forward to the weekend not being at work and people hassling me for for you know chasing payments and stuff so um, yeah I think so I suppose to, to answer your question I think um, you know there'd be times when uh, you enjoy the journey um, probably a uh, you know back yourself more than even you think you know continue to back yourself um and i think you know i think it was interesting starting a brand with a small bunch of people and um it's difficult on people that you know that well and but start off move off and go off and to different you know different tacks and you just can't take you can't take stuff personally um which is that you have that sort of thing you have to learn as well because you, you have worked with friends over the years. Has that ever been difficult? Uh, sometimes. I mean, it's difficult. And I think, you know, I think when, you know, it's like it's like any relationships or relationships that people have had in life that, you know, some relationships come, some relationships go, some stay, you know, for life. And I generally, you know, make the relationship, you know, people I know, I sort of know for a long time. So, um, 
yeah, there has been the, the parting of those of those people. You know, if the best were in the world, they go after their own thing. That's that's exciting, and you know, um, you know, you always part on good terms. But yeah, you definitely miss people when they've gone, when you've been in the thick of it together, and you've been on the front line. Um, but that's kind of part of you know really making sure that you enjoy those times that you do have together and did have together and um, it's not a personal thing it's just it's just that's just where they're off to in their life yeah you can't take those things personally can no, you? They're but just... I think it's a bit of time to learn that or to kind of get well, my head around that it's difficult to learn that and I mean I've I've been lucky enough to work with friends throughout my whole career as well and yeah you, you, that's essential you've got to learn that if you, yeah. if you don't learn that and if you don't understand that it's it's not personal and and that it's a natural part of life people's plans change and yeah. they're going to want to do different things you just you just have to just accept that don't yeah, you yeah totally and so that was that was probably my biggest sort of learning in that in that process I'd say yeah so over the years is there anyone in particular that you've um, particularly been inspired by or taken advice from that you found really valuable um I don't really have a mentor, if that's what you mean. Um, be it in business or in in life, I kind of, um, you know, there's there's um, I suppose there's there's certain people that you know that come across your radar. I guess it doesn't even have to be someone you you know though. You know? No, I mean there's yeah there's, there's you know there's there's certain. Um, I don't really. No, I don't. I don't have anyone that I'd sort of go to, go to kind of inspirational, um, you know, personality. I think you know. I, I, I kind of what inspires me the most is people. Um, you know, this sounds cheesy, but kind of everyday people doing unbelievable stuff that you don't even know about. I mean, I'm I start a brand, running a business, but the amount of people doing stuff out there that is way, way, um, you know more inspirational and kind of um higher achieving than that on a you know that go under the radar i think yeah is, is that's, that's just their life that's that i find that really yeah. uh really humbling and kind no, of quite inspirational that's definitely true yeah that's definitely something i would agree with so i think we didn't we talked a little bit about cornwall but we should yeah. talk more about cornwall because it is a, an integral part of the identity of Finisterre, isn't it yeah you're still there after 15 years. What what does it give to the brand? You guys being based down there. Um, I mean, it gives it you know like a real integrity in terms of legitimacy. You know, we're we you know when when the when the winter gales come in, you know, the first place they hit, having come off the sea in Snagits, is, is our workshop. So you hear it, you feel it, you're in the thick of it. Um, you know, for me, it was always about you know us the brand. You know, in some instances we go up against some of the best brands in the world so and if we can do that from down where we're located that's that's a, would be a real achievement yeah and um, also if you track people and they're going to make that commitment to move down there then you know yeah. they're committed and my thing was you know can can we can can we <clears throat> reconcile everything a really great place to work uh you know physically and locational wise a really sort of great place to work in terms of the brand and what it's there to do and the kind of why we're there um and what we're looking to achieve uh fulfill people's sort of personal needs in their life um and then be able to walk out and jump in the sea um any one point in the day because you feel like a bit headspace is kind of that's kind of a, a good package yeah and cornwall where we are now kind of offers us that you're in the uh rnli as well right yeah, I'm, I'm uh, one of the helm on the St. Agnes lifeboat, yeah. So how long have you been doing that? Uh, 15 years. Wow, so you joined straight away. Yeah, well, I moved down there and, you know, kind of, I suppose when I was younger, I was, always had an, an awareness of the RNLI and uh, the good stuff they do. And, you know, there's definitely romantic connotations with it and our seafaring heritage and nation. And, um, you know, it's probably one of the most, if not the widely recognised, you know, life-saving at sea charities there is um, and so to then be in Snagness and have a chance to join the crew you originally joined shore crew then you become crew and then sort of last five years I've been one of the helm on the boat there so, so I'm not particularly seafaring you're driving the boat yeah so basically the helm is, a, is like a driver okay and it's, it's, a, it's a D class so it's a like a 14 foot uh, rib uh, which is a you know like a rubber dinghy, a rivage inflatable yeah, yeah. boat. Okay. Um, so sketchy. Uh, 
Well, yeah, I mean, basically, it's one of the roughest stations in the UK on its day, probably, because sure. it's a surf station. Yeah. Um, and you're sitting in and out of the surf zone, usually rescuing people that have been cut off by the tide, or because uh, quite a lot of beaches are, you can walk on low tide, but then there, there's no beach at high tide around Snagness. So, right. um, or people getting caught in rips um, and that sort of thing. So, I have a pager on me all the time. Uh, it's usually my desk and then it goes off and you you know you drive down run down to the station and um you never know you know what you're going to go to until you get there uh, there's a crew of about 18 people in total uh three people go out any one time so two crew and one helm and um you can be going to anything at any time of day uh but it's you know it's a really good bunch of guys that do it uh, we train pretty hard you know training sort of 15 20 times a year um and you just you know it's, it's but it's uh, you know there's 250 stations around the country and there's a lot of people like me who do what we do but it's uh, something really proud to be involved with sounds like communities are important to you whether it's the surf community the, the community that you're building with finisterre rnli is that that fair to say um yeah probably is you know like i'm quite quite kind of um yeah like, i like i like people i like my time on my own you know as well um what do you do when you're on your own what do you do if you've because you're a new dad and i was gonna ask you about that in a minute but if you get an hour now you know you're busy you're a new dad you what, what do you do in that hour um i'd go for a walk with a dog on the beach i'd go for a swim the surf i'd go for a surf uh, i'd go for a fish you know do anything really usually around the yeah always around the sea but it's um yeah just i, I do enjoy time on my own but um yeah i you know i you know he's spend a lot of time in, with and around people so um uh so it's it's good to be i'm lucky to be around good people so that's how you relax still the sea yeah the sea yeah 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 and how's it being a dad how old's your son now uh wilfo is 18 months old just gone and uh, that's great yeah well, yeah without question the single <laughs> the single biggest event of my life and um yeah i love it um yeah, I've just got his first wetsuit, and so uh, I'm just waiting for a warmer day. The sea's a bit warmer to get him in the sea. and He uh, wouldn't have liked it today. Yeah, he wouldn't like today, a bit cold today. No. So <laughs> and has fatherhood influenced anything in the way that you're approaching things through through the business? Um, I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm not there as late as I used to be. But, um, and so, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I will head home you know for bath time or whatever um rather than sort of pootle around at work for till sort of 7 30 like i used to do sometimes um and yeah definitely like it's a privilege being a dad and sort of the kind of the really real simple things in life you um like just take him out for whatever you know like many many parents or whatever it's the same but uh, um it was kind of new experience to me so um you know really appreciate just any time you have with him you know and he grows up they grow up fast everyone says that but they really do so we we started the conversation by talking about what the sea meant to you when you were younger so and it sounds like obviously you're still using it as a as a refuge when you get the time i mean you mentioned that you go fishing you surf and you swim in what what does it mean to you now um i guess it means the same as it did, you know, when I, th I suppose the thing about the sea is it can take, you know, many different forms. You know, it's never the same any two days. Uh, there's always something very, sort of very distinctly different about it. Um, that um, you know, you kind of you get energy off it. You know, and I think that I think there's actually sort of studies that um, show that there's a kind of hypnotic something about the. Uh, the rate of your heartbeat and the motion of the sea. Um, so there's something that kind of, there's there's that level. There's a level of just feeling like getting in it and you, you know, every time you go and you always feel better when you come out than when you went in before. Like we went in today, it was pretty cold when you got in and you're like, oh, what am I doing here? But then you get that buzz when you come out. Um, you know, surfing is one part of it and you'll be able to ride a wave that is, once it's ridden, it's over and it'll never be the same again. You know, there's so many different angles and elements of the sea and um just being able to get energy from it whenever you feel like it i'm really lucky to be able to do that uh i suppose that's what it comes down to it's a kind of um yeah it's a, it's a you know i mean you, you know you go in the sea a bit what do you think well i would agree i mean it's kind of there's definitely a therapeutic 
aspect to it for me especially especially you know today's a really good example like you said i mean it was absolutely freezing and it was kind of a ridiculous thing to do really because it was raining and it was shitty but it was worth it wasn't it yeah it was great it was really good i mean like so um but you know we didn't come down look at the sea and go oh it's really rough and stormy and energy and exciting but we came down and we did something in it that we got energy off yeah. you got you know that kind of gave us energy and sort of fired us up but you could come down here in four days and it'd be a howling onshore gale <laughs> and you kind of get the same energy just from being near it yeah and so every time you go down there it's a kind of and you know, look out there it's just kind of just goes on you can't see it end there's something really interesting about it and um you know that it goes back for you know hundreds of years man's kind of um you know mystique and kind of romantic and um you know sort of fixation with the sea it's you know it's kind of it's been around for a long time and this is just part of my life now and you know it's it's kind of um yeah i'm lucky that it is and i really always try and appreciate um being near and be able to get in it whenever i can well we're an hour in so i'm gonna ask you one more question yeah, sure. and then i think we should uh, wrap it up so yeah, cool. what would you like uh, the legacy of finisterre to be uh what a legacy of finisterre to be um i think you know powering a pioneering approach to to way product is made and um that long lasting product i think is really important um you know the, the the stuff you have that lasts for longest and the more you love it so the more you have it the more you love it i think is really important um and you know our kind of our kind of you know sort of vision as a brand is to always inspire love of the sea so if we can you know bring that into people's lives that's a great thing to be able to do um and i think like a you know really sort of exciting and fulfilling place for people to work would be great tom that's been brilliant thanks matt thanks so much no problems thank you so there you go that was my chat with tom k founder of finisterre and i hope you enjoyed it i thought there was some great insights there not least for any of you interested in understanding how somebody like Tom has parlayed his passion into his career. I've got to say, follow your dreams is perhaps my least favourite bit of advice. And uh, it seems to be particularly inescapable at the moment, particularly if you find yourself scrolling down Instagram. But what I liked about this chat is that Tom's story demonstrates the often unromantic reality of following your dreams, if you like. It's hard work. It takes luck graft a unique idea to get that far and it was fascinating hearing from tom all the ups and downs that he's uh, been through to get finished there to this point in tom's case the passion that drove him was his love of the sea and i think that was pretty apparent during our conversation it's driven him since he was a kid it guided his decision to leave london and set up finisterre it's why he joined the rnli it's why he moved to cornwall and it's why he's embarked upon this mission which has shaped his life and now has a real life of its own so there you go that was the latest episode thank you as ever for uh, for digging it and the feedback that i'm getting as i say every week the podcast is going great people are really enjoying it and um, i'm very glad to hear it so as usual head over to the website www.wearelookingsideways.com you'll find the archive the show notes imagery a lot of social links you can sign up to the newsletter to get exclusive news from looking sideways and you can uh, get the latest episodes as they come out you can also find my social handles and you can uh, find a link to leave me a review on itunes so there you go i hope to hear from you and until the next time see you later (laughs) 